the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. WTBN Pinellas Park. Up next is Verse by Verse, sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries. communicating their decision, how they communicated their decision to the Gentile believers, they did everything in their power to resolve this problem in a way that promoted unity in the church and brought healing where there had previously been hurt and confusion. And in approaching and resolving the problem this way, the way they did, the Jerusalem Council folks, they have given us tremendous instruction on how to resolve conflicts when they arise in a church. No church is without conflict. How we resolve conflicts, though, says a lot about our maturity and wisdom, and it obviously has a major impact on the health of the church. In fact, the conflict we are considering today on Verse by Verse is so significant that it still affects us today. Praise the Lord that He helped those first century leaders come to the right decision and communicate it in the right way. Welcome. Pastor Steve Kreloff is the teaching pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. And he's leading us in a study of Acts chapter 15, which deals with the most important question of all, what is necessary for salvation? Today, Pastor Steve will be sharing the first part of his final message in this series. We've seen that the apostles were unanimous in their response to the Judaizers who had been stirring up the church in Antioch by saying that Gentile converts had to be circumcised in order to be saved. Well, the apostles affirmed what the Old Testament taught and what the Holy Spirit had demonstrated when they replied that we are saved solely by God's grace and nothing else. But then, once they made their decision, they had to decide how to announce it to the churches. Let's see what they did. Here's Pastor Steve. A few years ago, I was in a store and I saw this sign. It was a plaque in the store that read this way. I used to be indecisive, but now I'm not sure. Now, I know we can all joke about being indecisive, and it is sort of funny, but a failure to make a decision can be a serious problem, especially when that decision affects others. Others are waiting on the decision, and if it's not made decisively, quickly, it can be problematic. You see, by definition, indecisiveness means not settling an issue. Someone who is indecisive has trouble coming to a decision on a certain matter, and it can be for any number of reasons. Indecisiveness can stem from a fear of the consequences of making that decision, what would happen as a result of that decision being made. It could be that someone's a people pleaser and they care too much about what others think, so they delay and it sort of paralyzes them in formulating a decision. But regardless of why a person might hesitate in deciding something, Some issues just don't have the luxury of waiting for a matter to be decided. They have to be settled quickly. They have to be settled effectively, efficiently, or else they can adversely affect the lives of others. 
that is precisely the situation that the early church found itself in, in Acts chapter 15. The chapter begins, and you might recall this because we have been studying this, but the chapter begins by telling us about the time that some men from Judea, meaning the church at Jerusalem, came down to the church at Antioch in Syria, and under the pretense of being sent by the apostles, they started teaching the people there that Gentile believers, those Gentiles who had believed on Jesus, had to adhere to the ritual of circumcision in the law of Moses or else they could not be saved. That's what they were teaching. And although Paul and Barnabas vehemently stood against them, they debated them, they they argued with them, they argued against this teaching that denied the gospel message of salvation by grace alone. The church at Antioch just couldn't come to any settled conclusion. They were shaken by this. And so we read in verse 2 of Acts 15 that the church at Antioch decided to do something about it. They decided to send some of their members, including Paul and Barnabas, who were teachers there, they decided to send them up to the Jerusalem church in order for the apostles and the elders to make a decision concerning this matter. In other words, they wanted the leaders of the Jerusalem church to decide if God saved Gentiles solely on the basis of faith or if he did require faith plus works, specifically the works of keeping the Mosaic law. And so, as the chapter continues, we have learned that having sent a delegation to Jerusalem concerning this doctrinal problem, the leaders of the church did come together to look into the matter. And what has become known famously as the Jerusalem Council. And it was critical that the men on this council, that they be decisive, that they be definite in arriving at a conclusion, because listen, so much depended on their decision. See, the eternal destiny of not only the Gentile believers of that day, but millions of Gentiles who would come after them, including most of you, would be affected by their verdict. They were faced with deciding if faith in Jesus Christ and his substitutionary death on the cross, if that was sufficient for salvation or if God required something else in addition to faith. So you can see this was an incredibly serious problem and why being decisive on this issue in particular was so important. It really was, without any exaggeration, a matter of heaven or hell. Now, several weeks ago, prior to my vacation, we were engaged in studying how the Jerusalem church went about looking into this matter. And and what we discovered is that after hearing three speeches made by, number one, Peter, number two, Paul and Barnabas, number three, by James, who was the chairman of the council, all these men offering irrefutable arguments that Gentiles are saved on the basis of faith alone. After all of this, James then made a proposal that he hoped would be accepted by the entire council. Here's what he recommended, verses 19 and 20 of Acts 15. Therefore, it is my judgment that we do not trouble those who are turning to God from among the Gentiles, but that we write to them that they should abstain from things contaminated by idols, from fornication, from what is strangled, and from blood. 
Now, with, with these words, James is making two recommendations to the council. Number one, by stating that it is his conviction, that's what he means, it's my judgment, is his conviction that the Gentiles who are turning to Christ should not be troubled by those who say they need to be circumcised and keep the Mosaic law for salvation. He is, by saying that, recommending to the council, all the council members, that they join him in holding to the same conviction that salvation is indeed by faith alone. That is recommendation number one. Secondly, he proposes that the council write a letter to the Gentile Christians, not only telling them of their decision that they don't need to be circumcised to be saved, but also advising them to abstain from four particular activities, four practices. And the reason that James gives for advising them to refrain from these four practices is found in verse 21, which is important. He says, For Moses from ancient generations has in every city those who preach him, since he is read in the synagogues every Sabbath. Now, what does he mean by this? Well, the reason that James doesn't want Gentile Christians to be involved in these four particular practices has to do with the fact that these practices are forbidden in the Mosaic law, the Old Testament law of Moses. And since the Jewish people of that day all knew that these were forbidden practices because they attended synagogue services every Saturday, every Sabbath, where they heard the law of Moses being taught because of all of that For Gentile Christians to engage in these prohibited activities would damage their testimony for Christ. How? By needlessly offending Jewish people, both unsaved Jewish people and saved Jewish believers. Now this is where we left off with James expressing his personal conviction about the matter and presenting then to the council his recommendation for their approval. And what we're going to discover today is, listen closely, not only was the council decisive in agreeing with James and unanimously endorsing his recommendations, but also, note this, that in communicating their decision, how they communicated their decision to the Gentile believers, they did everything in their power to resolve this problem in a way that promoted unity in the church and brought healing where there had previously been hurt and confusion. And in approaching and resolving the problem this way, the way they did, the Jerusalem Council folks, they have given us tremendous instruction on how to resolve conflicts when they arise in a church. See, had the Jerusalem Council not handled this problem the way they did, it could have destroyed the church on a number of fronts. Number one, it threatened to destroy the church by introducing a false gospel that would have led many astray to a Christless eternity, trying to work their way to heaven. They would have been lost. Secondly, it threatened to divide the church into two factions. You have a Jewish faction, you have a Gentile faction. When the, the scriptures teach the body of Christ is one. Third, it threatened to destroy the church by promoting a self-centeredness that was calloused in caring about the spiritual welfare of other people so that it would have ruined the witness of Gentiles to Jewish people. It would have been offensive to them, would have been offensive to their sensitivities. And fourth, this problem threatened to destroy the church by creating an environment in which people just couldn't figure out what in the world the gospel is. It would have come across, the message of salvation would have come across in a very fuzzy manner, very unclear, and hard for anybody to understand. Well, is it by faith or is it by works or what? 
But all of these threatening issues were addressed by the council in a very wise way as they went about settling the issue of how a person is saved and then communicating their decision to the Gentile believers. And what we want to do today as we go through these verses in Acts 15 is to learn from the wisdom of this council by discovering the principles they used in resolving this matter and conveying their decision to the church. And what we see as Luke unfolds this whole section is three principles used by the Jerusalem council in resolving a church conflict. Listen, although I understand this is historical in nature, these verses are very important and they're very relevant for us and to us because they not only settle... Once and for all, as we've said, the question of how a person is saved. But the principles used by the council to bring about reconciliation within the church, those are the very same principles that we need to put into practice when a conflict arises in our church, a conflict that threatens to destroy us. The first principle is this. They treated each other as family. They treated each other as family. Verse 22. Then it seemed good to the apostles and the elders with the whole church to choose men from among them to send to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas, Judas called Barsabas and Silas, leading men among the brethren. Having heard the recommendation of James, the first thing that the members of the council did along with the congregation was they decided to choose two men from the Jerusalem church, from their own assembly, to send to the church in Antioch along with Paul and Barnabas. That's what this is telling us. And apparently they did this so that no one could accuse Paul and Barnabas of coming back and bringing a distorted report of the council's decision. They would have said, well, of course you're going to say that. You agree with them. So this was to protect them. Now, one of the men they chose was a man, we're told, by the name of Judas, who was called Bar-Sabas. What does that mean? Bar means son of, and Sabas, or Sabas, is close to our word for Sabbath, or Shabbos. This man was called Judas, son of the Sabbath, probably indicating that he was born on a Saturday. Now, all we know about this man is what's written here, that he was a leader in the Jerusalem church. And in verse 32, we're told that he was a prophet. Nothing else is said about him in the scriptures. The other man who was chosen to go to Antioch was a man by the name of Silas. And unlike Judas Barsabbas, the New Testament does reveal quite a bit about Silas. Sometimes he's called Silvanus, but here he's called Silas. He too was a leader in the Jerusalem church. He too was a prophet. But he also would become Paul's ministry companion on Paul's second missionary journey. He would also later serve Peter as his secretary and scribe in recording the letter of 1 Peter. 1 Peter 5.12 tells us this. So having decided to send these two men along with Paul and Barnabas now back to Antioch to verbally communicate and to explain the decision that was made by the council, the very next thing that the council did was to accept the recommendation of James to write a letter to these Gentile believers. And that letter clearly spelled out their decision. So we read in verse 23. And they sent this letter by them. The apostles and brethren who are elders to the brethren in Antioch and Syria and Cilicia who are from the Gentiles' greetings. Now what we read here is how the letter Began. It had an opening that was typical of all letters, every letter from that time period. 
identifying both the sender of the letter right at the beginning as well as to the people whom the letter was sent to. So in this case, the letter was written by the members of the Jerusalem Council, both the apostles and the elders, the pastors of that church. And it was addressed to the Gentile believers of three churches, the church in the city of Antioch and the churches in the provinces of Syria and Cilicia. But listen closely, because what I want you to notice is not simply the identity uh, of the writers and the recipients of this letter, but I want you to notice how they are referred to. Notice that the apostles and elders, what they call themselves, they call themselves brethren. And the apostles and the brethren who are elders. And then they refer to the Gentiles that they're writing to as brethren. To the brethren in Antioch and Syria and Cilicia who are from the Gentiles. Now, what I want you to see is that the Jerusalem Council purposely went out of their way to make sure that the Gentile believers that they were addressing, that these people understood that this letter was coming from brothers in Christ and that they considered them brothers in Christ You see, the way this actually reads in the Greek text highlights the emphasis that they're putting on the fact that they are brothers and sisters in the Lord. The apostles and elders, your brothers, to the Gentile brothers in Antioch, Syria, and Cilicia. That's the thought of the Greek. In other words, this was a letter written by brothers to brothers, and it was the Jewish believer's way of letting these Gentiles know right off the bat, immediately, that they had rejected the Judaizers' decision that circumcision was a requirement for salvation because they embraced them as brothers in Christ, affirming their salvation simply on the basis of faith in Jesus Christ. But beyond this affirmation of acceptance as genuine Christians, the fact that the council addressed themselves as brethren and these Gentiles as brethren, it reveals a great deal about how to resolve a conflict in a local church. Because it reveals that when a conflict arises, and there's potential always for that, and with that comes all kinds of bad attitudes, hurtful speech, things like that. The first thing to do to avoid this happening is to recognize that you are dealing with your brothers and sisters in Christ, those who belong to the Lord, those in whom the Lord Jesus dwells. And therefore, the way you are to treat them, watch this, is the same way that you would treat the Lord himself. See, the New Testament makes it abundantly clear that Jesus Christ identifies with his people. We are not separate from him. He identifies with us so that what is done to one of his followers, he considers being done to him. The Lord taught this very truth in Matthew 25 when he spoke about what will happen when he returns at the end of the tribulation period and he takes his seat upon his glorious throne and then all the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate the believers from unbelievers and what he will say to those who are believers will reveal the genuineness of their faith by the way they treated needy and persecuted followers of his during those horrible years of the tribulation. And Jesus says, the way you treated those who were needy, persecuted followers of mine, that's the way you treated me. Listen to what he said, Matthew 25, 34 through 40. And the king will say to those on his right, come, 
You who are blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. Naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? And when did we see you a stranger and invite you in or naked and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? Then the king will answer and say to them, truly I say to you, to the extent that you did it to one of these brothers of mine, even the least of them, you did it to me. Jesus is very clear that how we treat his followers, even the least of them, is how we treat him. This isn't the only time our Lord spoke like this. Remember when Paul was converted on the road to Damascus, the Lord said to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? He was persecuting Christians, but Jesus saw it as persecuting him. And these two incidents are not limited to mistreatment and persecution of believers. It is far broader than that. You see, it's an enduring principle that the way one treats a follower of Christ, that's the way one treats Christ himself. Jesus said this, Matthew 18. This is an incredible passage, verses 1 through 5. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus and said, who then is greatest in the kingdom of heaven? They often did that, often argued about that because they were proud guys. And he called a child to himself and set him before them and said, Truly I say to you, unless you're converted and become like children, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever then humbles himself as this child, he's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And watch this. And whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. Now I want you to understand, although Jesus used a literal physical child in this illustration, the point he was making, although he, he definitely has a special place in his heart for children, the point he was making was not about little children. The point he was making is that those who are converted are like literal, physical children in the sense that they're trusting and they're humble and they're dependent. So when he says that those who receive one such child in his name, they receive him, he's referring, folks, to the fact that the way one of his childlike converted followers is treated, that's the way he's treated. That's the way he's treated. Listen, as followers of Christ, we are to be loving and kind to all people. We understand that. We're to be kind to all regardless of their spiritual state, status. However, there should be a special place in our hearts, a special relationship, an affection that's reserved only for believers because they're family. Family. Family is special. And whenever we have a problem with a brother or sister in Christ, before you say or do anything wrong to them, it is important to remind yourself that Christ lives in that person. Lives in that person. So how you treat them, what you say to them, how you react in attitude to them should be determined by how you would treat the Lord. What you would say to the Lord how you would react in attitude to the Lord if he was standing in your presence because in reality, he is standing in your presence by dwelling in the Christian who is standing before you. Those are heavy thoughts. Those are profound truths, but we need to think about this. Indeed we do. And Pastor Steve will continue on that topic on the next Verse by Verse. We are to be kind even when we disagree. 
Now, there's a concept that is completely foreign to modern society, isn't it? Especially, it seems, in the world of politics. Wow. But as Christ followers, we are different. He lives within us. And when we abuse fellow Christians, we abuse Christ himself. Thanks for tuning in today to this series of lessons from Acts 15 about the first church council ever. The council that forever answered the biggest question of all, what is necessary for salvation? Pastor Steve Kreloff is the teaching pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. For information about Lakeside, call the office at 727-441-1714 or go online to lakesidechapel.com. Verse by Verse is a listener-supported ministry of Lakeside. You can learn about Verse by Verse at our website, versebyverseradio.org. We have hundreds of previous broadcasts available for you to stream or download at no charge. And there's a podcasting service if you'd like to be sure to get all of our future programs. Those are on the Message Archive page. And there's a giving page if you'd like to help support Verse by Verse. Thank you for your gifts. They go 100% towards the cost of putting these Bible classes on the air and on the web. That's versebyverseradio.org. This is Jerry Peterson. I once heard a story about a wealthy New York family that bought a cattle ranch out west. Everyone in the family had a different idea for the name, so they compromised. They named the spread the Bar J Suzy Q Flying W Lazy Y. That's an elegant compromise, isn't it? Uh, But unfortunately, none of the cattle survived the first branding. Well, there are times to compromise, and there are times to stand firm. On the next Verse by Verse, Pastor Steve will show us the basis for those decisions. You've been listening to Verse by Verse, sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries. This program was pre-recorded. To learn more, including how to donate to this ministry, visit versebyverseradio.org. That's verse by... We are here to give you strength between... Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.